Thank you for those kind words. If you ask my wife, sometimes she wouldn't be as... Uh, not, well, <laughs> she, she could tell you stories about how I really am. Um, but greetings from Cambodia. Thank you so much, Susan and I, and our sons, Caleb and Nate. We are very thankful for the opportunity to be here, to worship with you, and to have the privilege and the honor of sharing God's Word with you. And I'd also like to share with you what God is doing um, overseas in Cambodia. Before we get started, I definitely need prayer. Could you join me in praying with me for the preaching of God's Word? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who loves his children, that you did not leave us to our own devices, but you have given us your word and your spirit. We pray at this time that your spirit would be upon us, would soften hearts, open ears, and that your spirit would be upon this servant, that your word may be preached faithfully for your glory, for your church your greatest treasure. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to speak to you this morning from a passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. And if you could just, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have the passage in front of you, if you could just read with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In this passage, Jesus Christ gives this compelling argument, this logic, if you will. He says there are treasures on earth, but these treasures are not permanent They don't necessarily retain their value. They actually depreciate over time. He says these are treasures where uh, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's no security there. It's an investment that's foolhardy. And then the next sentence, he says, in contrast to this treasure, there is a treasure in heaven. And this treasure is imperishable. It is eternal, never depreciating. Its value is infinite, and it can never be taken away. Well, if we follow this logic, um, it's a no-brainer. We should all clamor after this treasure in heaven. Throw away our 401ks. There's something that will never depreciate here in this treasure. Well, first of all, what is the treasure of the world? Well, we could say that the treasure of the world are all the things that this world values. The things such as wealth, such as power, 
such as prestige, comfort, security. And what is the treasure of heaven? Well, in Luke 12, verse 33 through 34, there's a parallel passage. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Here we see that the treasures in heaven are the marks of the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom where the poor are cared for, where the needs of the unfortunate are met, and especially where the gospel, the greatest spiritual need, is proclaimed. So we have here these contrasting treasures, one that is perishable, one that the world values, one that is imperishable, eternal, that signifies the kingdom of God. So what's the problem? Why don't we all flock to this treasure in heaven? Why don't we invest in that treasure with everything that we have? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 21. And he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus knows. It's not just a matter of logic, is it? It's not just a matter of what's up here and what we should calculate. But the heart is involved. And the heart is an entity that needs to be filled. It's something that needs to grip something. It needs to find its worth and value in treasures. And the dynamic I've seen, the dynamic I've experienced, and the dynamic I've seen in Cambodia is what you fill your heart with is what becomes its treasure. What it grips, what it sees, what it it becomes entranced with, that's what it chases after with all its heart. Sorry. Um, as Pastor John alluded to, one of, the, one of the great historical events in this country of Cambodia is the Khmer Rouge. It was a four-year period where the leaders of this country Um, wanted to develop a communism based on farming. And they felt that if there was any hint of education, of culture, of learning, it would undermine this farming communism. So what did they do? They eliminated the threat. If you could read, if you could write, if you wore glasses, if you were a lawyer, teacher, artisan, doctor, you were executed. And what happened was they developed a country that was devoid of all its treasures. It became just empty. They killed Christians and Buddhists alike. It was empty materially. It was empty spiritually. And in that emptiness, the question that comes up is, What will fill the hearts of the people? Because new treasures are coming into this country. What will grip the hearts of this people? And this is the second story of Cambodia. See, right now, at this time, there are countries from all over the world coming in, 
investing, and money is pouring into the country. And there are many people that are filling their hearts with the material wealth of developing countries that are investing here. But there is also a need, a hunger for something deeper, something that won't fade, something eternal, something worthwhile. And it is in this vacuum that I met um, a pastor whose name was Hong. And Hong was um, a pastor that uh, was struggling. He was struggling with his call because everyone has told him, his family, his friends, they told him that you are a fool. You are a fool to be a pastor because if you become a pastor, your life is destined to be one of suffering, of being destitute, of always being needy. And he struggled with his call. He came to me um, and he sought advice. He said, Paul, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do because I know in, the, in, my, in my mind, I know that if I pursue this calling that I think that God has given me, I'm going to struggle. And part of me doesn't want to struggle. I don't want to live a life full of suffering. It's not something I want to embrace. But part of me knows that this is the calling that I have. So I talked with him, and I told him, Hong, if you feel like you're called to work, and that is okay. It's okay to make money. It's okay to provide for your family. It's okay to provide for the church. But this calling that you have to ministry, let's explore this. And Hong, I don't think I can tell you as an individual what your calling is, but the advice I can give you is this. Why don't you come with me to this area called Tulsan Kai? And I want you to visit and meet with some of the people there. Because I think calling is done in community. And I want you to meet these factory workers that I'm working with. They work 6 to 9 p.m., 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, seven days a week, and they eke out $60 a month. And these people, they really need to hear the gospel. I want you to meet them, because I think when you meet them, God will give you an answer. He'll confirm your calling. So he graciously came with me to this area in the northern part of Phnom Penh, a very poor area. And he started to meet the people around him. He started to meet these factory workers. He started to hear their stories, enter into their lives, go into their homes, see the struggles they, they had. And he started to pray for them. And his heart started to ache for them. Even though he didn't have a lot, he started to feed them. He started to clothe them. He started to minister to them. He started to bring them together as a fellowship because they were so desperate in need of building relationships with each other. He started to preach to them the gospel because he saw that the greatest need was not the material needs around them, but it was the depth of longing for the gospel. And he started to share with them what Jesus Christ could offer them.
something that the world could not. And he came to me and he said, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this church because God has freed my heart. He has given me something worthwhile to invest in and to chase after. And this was humbling for me. It showed me a picture of a treasure in heaven that I still didn't see for myself. Not only was it something that affected Hong, but it was contagious. See, these factory workers, um, he started to develop a worship. And he taught them about offering. He taught them about stewardship. And in this first service that he, he kind of gave, he collected 15 factory workers. And he said to them, you don't have to give anything. But part of being a Christian is responding to all that God has gifted you with and giving back a little to acknowledge the great heavenly Father who blesses us. So he took a collection. And he said, if you're not a believer, don't give. Give only as God prompts your heart. Fifteen people. These are people who live on less than a dollar a day on food. Passed the collection tray, and they collected nine dollars that day. For us, that's nothing. But for them, that's meals for them and their families. They too, their hearts too, were filled with a treasure that went beyond what this world could offer. A treasure that was heavenly in nature. A treasure that was imperishable. This, I think, is the dynamic that we experience and I'm t- I want to share with you today, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but if you want to maintain your treasures on this earth, do not, I repeat, do not get to know the people around you. Do not get to know their needs. Do not start praying for them. Because things might definitely change in the economy you're in. You might see yourself giving and sacrificing. You might get, start seeing yourself investing in something you wouldn't dare dream before. But if you are interested in investing, fill your hearts by going to the people around you. Start with your family. Start with your church and go into the community. See what the needs are. And you will be gripped by the kingdom of heaven, you will see their felt needs that you can fulfill and that God can use you to administer to. Minister to. And you will be gripped when you see the need for the gospel and the people around you. And you will see yourself all of a sudden investing your time, your money, your prayers, your efforts in something that is eternal. Well, what is the foundation for our hearts? I'm going to skip the passage, uh, the verses 22 and 23, and I'm going to just jump to 24, because here Christ gets to the heart of the matter. 
Because he says that our hearts are determined by something. And our hearts are determined by our masters. He says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In Cambodia, there is a, um, there is a, a cultural construct that drives a lot of the country. And we call it a patron-client relationship. In Cambodia, you have basically have two people groups. You have the people that have, and they have to the extreme. And then you have the people who don't have. And the people who have are the patrons. The people who don't have are clients. And in order to survive, you cling to a patron. You do what they say. They're your master. You serve them. This happens in the workplace, in government, in the school, teacher, student, everywhere, even in the church. And basically, you're the servant of the patron. You do everything that they ask you, and you hope that you will be rewarded. But there's a problem there. Because there is no real trust. Because at any time, the patron can say, I don't feel like paying you. And all that work that you put into that relationship, all the work in serving this master, gone. But there's no choice. Because these are the only masters you have. So what do you do? You go back to them. You enslave yourselves to them. And this is, the, this is the picture of the masters of this world. There's no security in the masters of the world, the treasures of this world. Money is a master that you have to seek after always more and more, and there's never any security. And to fulfill the wealth that money requires, you have to be a slave to it. You have to work ceaselessly. You have to constantly pour your energy seeking after it. But Jesus Christ says that there is another master that fills our heart and clears our vision. See, this master, God, is different from the patrons of Cambodia and even the masters here in our society. First of all, he has already proven himself trustworthy. What has he done? He, has gave, he gave up his greatest treasure. His son, Jesus Christ, he put him on a cross to die for us. He gave his greatest treasure so that we can have the greatest treasure, Christ himself. Not only that, he has, in doing so, he has freed us, freed our hearts, as it says in Romans 6, so that we're no longer slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to the treasure of this world. In doing so, he has moved us from enemies of himself, brought us into his family, and gave us an eternal, imperishable inheritance, Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is saying, the master that you have determines your heart's treasure. I'll just end with this. People ask me um, a lot, why did I become a missionary? Um, when I was a senior in high school, I went to Urbana. 
And when I attended Urbana, I was a young Christian. And in Urbana, this, it's this missions conference, I think in the coldest place in the world. And they had decided to have it in December, right around the coldest time of the year. And I attended there, and it is a conference where they just try to share with you God's heart for the world. But my heart was sinful, I have to admit. And when I heard what the people had to say at Urbana, you know what I came away with? I decided there are people suffering and dying in the world out there. And God needed me. God needed me to go out there and save those people. That's what, I got, that's what I came away with. See, my treasure might not have been wealth per se, but my treasure was my reputation. My treasure was my self-righteousness. My treasure was my ability to be, be obedient and to look good in front of the church and the other Christians. And it reflected the values and the treasures of this world. It was enslaving. And I felt like I always had to work hard at doing it in order to maintain it. In college, I did Big Brothers. I did outreaches to the homeless. I started all these outreach ministries. Continued even when I moved to Flushing. I was driven by it because it was my identity. It was my treasure. But God broke my heart. He changed my heart. He reminded me of the gospel. And he said, I've already done everything that you think you're doing. How dare you slight my work in Jesus Christ? Instead, embrace what I've done and respond out of it. And he changed my heart. He changed my heart so that I treasured the treasures of heaven. And what drove me after that to do missions was that he made me fall in love with the church. He made me fall in love with the community of believers, the physical manifestation here on earth of the kingdom of heaven, of the body of Christ. I fell in love with it, with all its imperfections, with all its uh, flaws. I fell in love with it. His greatest treasure here on earth. The body of Christ. Christ is the head. And this is what I tell people why I go out to a developing country with my family. I go there because I love the church. As imperfect as my love is, there is the eternal treasure right in front of us. And whenever I visit churches, whenever I go and I share, the one encouragement, the one the request I ask is that you look around. You look at your brothers and sisters and you see this community that God has raised up. You see its beauty with all its flaws. This here is a picture of the treasure of heaven. Fall in love with it. Let your heart be gripped with it. And I guarantee you will do God's work. You'll be entranced with missions here in North Shore, here in America, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a master who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've given us a salvation so great, so incomprehensible, so amazing. A salvation where we can be with you, and not just as individuals, but as a family. A family together, worshiping with you, dining at your table. Lord, we pray that we may be part of your work in building that family up. Here and all throughout the world. We pray, Lord, for this church here. We pray, Lord, that you would be uh, raising up your people here to invest in the eternal treasures of heaven. That that would grip their hearts as that they see the gospel through the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, who is given to us by our, our Master Father in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do your work in this church. You continue to make your worship transparent and witness transparent outside these walls so that the treasure that is found here would be so attractive to the people out there that they couldn't help but want to come and invest in what you're doing here. This is our prayer. Thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.